Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Our hearts are heavy as we join all of Nashville in mourning the deaths of Evelyn Dykus, Holly Scruggs, William Kinney, Cynthia Peake, Mike Hill, and Katherine Kuntz. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, former President Donald Trump is indicted in Manhattan. A somber week here in America with respect to gun violence and mass shootings, as Nick and I will give our takes on the Nashville school shooting, plus the good fight being done by those who want to put an end to gun violence. More on that in a bit. Plus, later on the program, former staffer to Representative Adam Kinzinger, and former House Speaker John Boehner, Maura Gillespie, is back on the pod with us. Committee hearings are plenty. The gun debate in Congress, plus what it's like to set up and prepare for a congressional hearing. Moore's going to help break it. Moore's going to help us break all that down. Excuse me. Later on in the pod, uh, Nick, we jump right into it. The beauty of recording a podcast. You and I have been texting today. I was at opening day for the Mets Marlins down here in Miami. And I'm sitting with some folks and, you know, phones are blowing up and we're all seeing it come across on the scroll that the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, who mentioned a few weeks back, I think close to 10 days now back on his true social platform that he was going to get indicted. Well, today the news breaks that he is being indicted. Uh, The Manhattan grand jury has found enough probable cause evidence uh, to issue an arrest warrant for the president. 
the former president, excuse me, of the United States. Some people still think he's the president. That's a different story and a different podcast, not this one. Um, and so next week, potentially on Tuesday, uh, the former president will probably appear before a court in Manhattan. And right now, Secret Service, New York City Police Department, all the law enforcement officials are working to secure what will be downtown Manhattan and figure out how to get the president in, excuse me, the former president in and out on arraignment. He'll probably be released on his own recognizance after he enters in a guilty plea, which will probably be not guilty, not he'll be, he'll be guilty entering a guilty plea. I just want to make sure we have that distinction. Um, but it's funny because for a couple of reasons, before we get into our serious topic, and I, I really want to dedicate the first segment to our what happened in Nashville, because that is that is something where you and I are really going to hone in on. And we seem to keep having these and loss of human life, in my opinion, should trump, no pun intended, this story. But the former president being indicted is historical. And I was supposed to be on MSNBC this weekend uh, on a panel discussing the, the the school shooting and and obviously some of the Fox News stuff. And I got bumped. And now, now I'm mad. Uh, now my career is being stunted. Because of the former president, but um, it, it, it's 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 funny because the the news world and as someone who's worked in it before, when something breaks, you know everything just stops. Every show is devoted to it. As as we're recording right now, you know I got CNN up on the background. I was flipping to MSNBC earlier and Fox, and all of them have the bottom graphic for the people that you know don't watch with sound or are just flipping around and you know come into something cold. And it's the former president, you know, being indicted. And now they're having their legal analysts. They're having their opinion analysts, uh, correspondents. You're getting congressional correspondents, getting feedback from different people up on Capitol Hill. Obviously, you know, you know what Speaker McCarthy has said and Mitch McConnell has been quiet and stuff like that. So this is unprecedented uh, what we're seeing play out right now. Quickly, uh, Mr. Severi, your, your takes on we shouldn't be celebrating this, in my opinion. There's nothing to celebrate here. Like this, this is an indictment on the people that voted for this person, in my opinion, uh, from 2016, when there was claims of this coming out, right? Because this happened in 2016, right? This didn't happen right now. This happened seven years ago. And so people back then were saying things about the former president and the way he tends to um, not take the law into account, thinks he's above it. And now here we are. So in my opinion, I'm not I'm not big on the celebrating. Uh, I don't I don't want to see a former president of the United States indicted. Right. I think it's an indictment on the people that voted for him once upon a time. But your takeaways when you heard this news come down. Well, you and our soon to be guest on the show, returning uh, returning guest, Mara Gillespie, are in that camp. Yeah, she tweeted earlier uh, about the importance of not celebrating you know, and what this means. And that's that echoes very similarly to what you just said. I am not cut from that cloth, however. Do I celebrate this? Not necessarily. Am I going to get my jokes off on Twitter? Hell yes. Let's not forget, this is the same guy who took out a full-page ad in the New York Times condemning the Central Park exonerated five. This is a person who has also famously attacked his political opponent, demanding that Hillary Clinton go to jail. This is a person who likes to swear up and down about law and order for everybody except him. So when I saw the news earlier that the 45th president was indicted, 
I certainly chuckled because the irony is there. This is a guy who has famously chanted lock her up right in reference to his opponent in 2016. This person has been convinced that all of his opponents are criminals. Every single one of them is just just as worse as the other. If you were to talk to Trump, none of them, none of them have been indicted. So somewhere right now in I think it's in Chappaqua, New York is where the Clintons live or somewhere nearby. I imagine Hillary Clinton is having it's let's see, it's spring. So it's basically white wine season It's probably having a very, very delicious glass of Chardonnay. I myself am a Viennier person. I'm not going to be having a glass of wine toasting to this. But what I will say is the irony is delicious for me. And it's simply the system doing its job. Do I think the district attorney Alvin Bragg is out to get the president? Like, which is what basically, you know, Donald Trump Jr. is saying on social media or, you know, folks at Fox News, you know, in the primetime slot, of course, are saying that includes Jason Whitlock, who was also on earlier today. No, I don't think it's politically motivated at all. This is a person who basically essentially engaged in money laundering, right? Like you pay you pay an adult film star who you had a relationship with and you do it in a backdoor way to make sure that this payment's not recorded. And the guy who organized it came forward and said, I did it. I did it on behalf of this person. And nothing I just said is factually incorrect. And in, in fact, what I just said is basically part of the foundation for the case that the district attorney has that they presented. So I don't celebrate, but I do appreciate the fact that a former president is not above the law. You've done something that a panel of jurors, the majority of which find is worth exploring further period and the sentence and the system it's doing its job and for someone like me who can often who can be often cynical about wealthy rich white people in this country and not necessarily all white shout out to oj simpson who managed to get away with all kinds of heinous things today was a victory it was a reminder that your stats in this country does not necessarily automatically exonerate you or keep you above the law well i mean i agree with I mean, I can't retort any of that, but I don't I don't celebrate it uh, to each his own in terms of the celebration. Uh, I can't stop you from celebrating and I don't disagree with you celebrating. I just for me, this isn't the juice, right? Like this is I think we mentioned this on the previous pod and, and you just mentioned about go check out our episode that we did with Sarah Azari, former uh, not former current criminal defense attorney, white collar criminal defense attorney. She's also going to be potentially a contributor on our network, but you've seen her across Tons of different networks, MSNBC, CNN, News Nation, um, and breaking down the legal news. So she broke down in our last episode a bunch of the different cases facing the former president. Obviously, we talked as if the indictment would be soon. And here we are. Today is soon. And as we're recording this, the former president of the United States has been indicted by a grand jury in Manhattan and will be charged this coming Tuesday. All right. I want to pivot into something that was more important than was the focal point of this first segment uh, when you and I had talked about what we wanted to discuss. Um, there was so much news happening and the interview with Moore in our next segment, we actually recorded it uh, prior, not prior to, excuse me, as the school shooting had just unfolded. Um, so you'll hear a little bit of her takes, obviously from somebody who's worked in Capitol Hill once upon a time with lawmakers, because we're going to get into the lawmaker part of this and how nothing has been done so far to really stop uh, the madness of school shootings. 100 
and 30 mass shootings in the U.S. this year so far, according to the Gun Violence Archive. You can check out those statistics on their website. And I hate that they keep track of all of that. But unfortunately, we need to document all of these because yet another one happened where six people lost their lives, three children, the ages of nine, all three of them, three teachers and administrators, one a janitor at the school, all in their 60s. One one of them, the best friend of the wife of the governor of Tennessee, uh, who was actually supposed to have dinner with the governor and his wife that night. Um, Shooting happened over at the Covenant School in Nashville, where three children died and three other adults who were staff members died, two of them teachers and administrators, one a janitor at the school in Mike Hill. Um, All six lost their lives when a 28-year-old shooter from the area uh, who used to attend the school, I believe, according to reports, came in at 1013, entered the school through a side entrance and traversed her way from the first floor to the second floor, firing multiple shots. There's body camera footage and school surveillance footage that has been released of the shooting and the shooter making their way through the glass doors that she shot through, Nick. So you can't lock those glass doors when AR-15 bullets smash through them. All right, I want to do a couple of things here before we give our takes. First, let's hear from the police chief out in Nashville. Uh, He's been making the television rounds, Nashville Police Chief John Drake. His, obviously, uh, police officer's did a great job in responding to this, uh, I believe 16 to 17 minutes total. There's body cam footage of the brave officers who g- gathered up, ran to the areas, and took the suspect out uh, within a 15 to 20 minute period, limiting the damage that could be done on the premises. He was asked about this, obviously, and has given some pressers. I want to play some sound from him in terms of what they've uncovered investigation-wise into the shooter. Take a listen to this. So we have not been able to determine a motive as of yet. The, the investigation is very much still ongoing. Uh, we do have uh, writings in a book we consider to be like a manifesto. Uh, we do have a map uh, of the schools where it was diagrammed how, they, how she would enter uh, and how she might proceed uh, to uh, uh, take on potential victims. Um, We'll have more communications. We've been to the house on Brightwood. We recovered uh, more firearms at that house. Um, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll continue picking up what we left off yesterday and see where it leads. The shooter, apparently, like I mentioned from surveillance footage, shot out the glass of a side door. She crawled through the opening to access the building. She was armed with two AR-style guns, a rifle and a pistol, as well as a handgun she had on her hip, investigators said. Police also have found other weapons at her house, her family's house, where she was hiding them, and her family did not know that she had uh, this type of weaponry uh, available to her, or at least hidden. There was a phone call that was played from CNN because the shooter had contacted a former classmate via Instagram. We weren't able to get the sound from this, but You can go look this up. And it was a disturbing message that they sent about wanting to inflict harm. And she called Nashville Police Department suicide hotline. She just said, 
I don't want this on my conscience. I want to tell you guys about this. I just got a disturbing message. This is the person's name. But because she didn't know where she lived, didn't have an address, they couldn't do anything about it. And this all happened maybe an hour before the actual shooting occurred at the school there in Nashville. Of course, when things like this happen, everybody tends to bounce around the topic and the core tenet of what is happening in all of these school shootings. There's one common denominator. The girl did not go in there and start throwing drag show flyers. She didn't go in there with a CRT textbook and kick down the door. She didn't throw ninja stars or anything like that. She had a weapon of mass destruction and she shot human beings with military style weaponry, killing six people. And so when things like this happen, we get comments from members of Congress that are so stupid that they deserve to be called out on this. We're going to play you an instance of that that happened in the chambers of Congress. But first, I want you to listen to Tennessee Representative Tim Burchett. Tim does not represent this district, but he is a representative from Tennessee. He was asked outside the steps of the Capitol about the shooting. Take a listen to this. Do you think there's any role for Congress to play to, in reaction to this tragedy? Obviously, this is your state now, but sure. it's happened in every other state. Oh, it's happening. It doesn't matter what state it's happening in. It's we're all Americans. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. They all bleed red. It's, and they're bleeding a lot. Um, I, I don't see any real role that we could do other than mess things up, honestly, because of the, um, the situation. It's... Um, uh, like I said, I don't think a criminal's going to stop from guns. You know, you can print them out on the computer now, 3D printing. And there's really, I, I don't think you're going to stop the gun violence. I think you, you've got to change people's hearts. You know, as a Christian, as we talk about in the church, and I've said this many times, I think we really need to revive them. There's a quote in the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, where Will Smith is with his son. And they're walking down the street in San Francisco, and the son tells him a story. And it's really about Jesus trying to save a guy who's out in the middle of the ocean drowning. And, you know, a boat comes by. The guy's like, no, 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 Jesus is going to save me. And then the Coast Guard comes by and he's like, no, 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 I'm going to wait. Jesus is going to save me. And then he drowns and he goes to heaven and he meets Jesus. And he's like, my Lord, my Savior, like, why didn't you save me? And he's like, I sent two boats for you, you dummy. And I think about that story because... He just mentioned Christianity there. Literally, this is the exact same thing that's happening. There is one common denominator in all of this. Again, one common denominator. If you take this sentence, Nashville school shooter enters school, shoots doors, shoots children, shoots people. And take out the word shoots. What happens? People are still alive. How he doesn't understand all of this with respect to that parable. And the funniest thing is, I didn't play it in the clip there. But he mentions his kids are homeschooled. Almost as a big F you to the people in his state that are dealing with this. The aftermath of this the vigils that will happen, and now the ceremonies and burying children. 
and the three teachers, administrators, and janitor that lost their lives in all of this. He wasn't as fired up as I sound right now, but somebody who was fired up was Representative Jamal Bowman. He's a congressman out of New York. If I still lived in New York, he would be my congressman because of where he represents out in Westchester County in the Bronx. He was at the chambers of Congress outside after they had broke for the day. And he was yelling to television cameras there that enough is enough. Now, Representative Bowman, uh, we've known him for a while on this show. Uh, he is a friend of a friend. He's been on the program. He's coming back on the program coming soon. And he's a former teacher, educator, middle school principal, 20 plus years in the education system. A lot of people on the right are attacking him because of his school and the way it's performed. We'll get into that in another day because this is not an education podcast. However, his big claim was, I've worked in schools. I know what works in schools to keep kids safe. You have it. And as he's yelling about innocent children being murdered and slaughtered by an AR-15, that yet another tragedy has happened in this country at a school and a mass shooting, he's confronted with Representative Thomas Massey. If you don't know who that is, he's a representative out of Kentucky that I believe last year or the year prior posted a Christmas photo on his social media. Of course, everyone dressed up to the nines and armed with an AR-15 in the photo him, his wife, and his three kids. And so the two of them start confronting each other and arguing. I want to play a little bit of that sound here. They're cowards. They're all cowards. They won't do anything to save the lives of our children at all. Cowards. Pressure them. Force them to respond to the question, why the hell won't you do anything to save America's children? And let them explain that all the way up until election day of 2024. The fact that Representative Massey said that there's never been a school shooting where the school allows teachers to carry could be one of the stupidest counter retorts arguments that I've ever heard in my life. But it speaks to the overall. You ever had that moment when you're looking for your phone, you can't find it and it's in your hand and you're actually texting somebody? I just had that happen before we started recording. That's what's happening here. We're all looking around for the phone. Is it over here? Did you leave it in the bathroom? Did you do this? Did you do that? Uh, the what about is um, mental health? Uh, did you lock the door at the school? Are there barricades there? What happened to the security guard? Was he sleeping? Was he eating a sandwich? Hey, the person came in with an AR-15 and two other guns. She had better weapons than the good guys with guns. Same thing in Uvalde. Same thing in Sandy Hook. This good guy with gun stops bad guy with gun argument needs is so stupid because the bad guy should not have a gun. We all agree in the analogy that they're the bad guy. Why are we arming the bad guy? 
I continue to hear some of the dumbest arguments from this. And before I let you go, Nick, with your take, unfettered, of course, I got into an argument on Twitter with Phoenix Ammunition. If you don't know who Phoenix Ammunition is, good for you, because you shouldn't know who an ammunition company is. I mean, why would you? Unless you are shooting weapons of mass destruction all the time. Phoenix Ammunition, the premier ammunition supplier for the militia industrial complex. Self-defense is a human right. Come for the ammo, stay for the memes. This is on their Twitter profile. And they started attacking Representative Jamal Bowman because of what he was saying there in terms of the data points, right? More guns leads to more death. You're not looking at it in terms of data, in terms of open carries. And they've continued on this mass information campaign, spinning metrics to favor their narrative. And so I put one piece of content out there for them to respond to, which they have it, but it's gotten a bunch of likes. So I appreciate the people that have liked it. And I wrote, of course, an ammunition would defend the bullets that killed people because you got to make those sales. All right, Nick, as much as I spoke there about everything that's happened with this situation in Nashville, and I hate saying thoughts and prayers. I truly do. And, and as a Christian man, like this is tough for me to say thoughts and prayers because it's a, it's a buzzword and phrase now. What did I say before? And what have I maintained on the show? Stop speaking in buzzwords and phrases. They've, they've literally capitalized on thoughts and prayers because there's, it's emptiness behind it. A congressman in that state, well, I homeschool my kids. Ah, we can't stop bad guys, you know? So why try? You know, I know it's my job, but why try? And then another one who says, you know what? We should arm you guys with guns, teachers. I know we don't trust you necessarily with the books that you're teaching, but yeah, how about you hand, handle this pistol? Because I mean, clearly we don't trust you with a pen and paper. I want to get some of your thoughts as a former teacher, still working in education. And then I know you have a personal story to share about something that happened to your daughter's school district. But first, your thoughts on, on Nashville and everything I just played. Yeah, I think there's a lot of places to go there. The I'll start with the personal, then I'll pull out to the macro. So yesterday, I, you know, I, I live in Northampton County, Pennsylvania. So in like in other parts of Pennsylvania, multiple towns will share the same school district. Unlike, say, in New Jersey, where mostly a town will have its own school district. So here, uh, at around 9.30 yesterday morning, I get a phone call, an automated message from the, di- from the district that my daughter attends school in. And the message simply said that in a nearby area, not of this particular district, but nearby in another school area, another school district, there was a reported case. Um, well, let me get the words correct, but but there was a reported case of an active shooter or a call had been made about an active shooter. And so they, so the district was alarming, you know, was letting alerting all families. So I hear this, uh, but the message stresses the fact that our particular school district did not, was not named as being potentially where an active shooter may be. Uh, my wife who is away for, you know, for a conference for work calls me up just panicked and in tears saying, what's going on? I just got the phone call. What do you know? And I, and I said, I've, I've only heard the voicemail too. And my wife pleaded with me to go to the school and check on our daughter and to bring her home. 
just flat out she was scared and you know in light of the recent shooting just go get our daughter is what my wife kept saying so i did got to the school obviously it's a calm scene nothing's going on there i talked to the security guard we have a great security guard at the school um who is armed um and is employed by the district uh and is a no-nonsense fellow I, i will say that to you um and we had a really good conversation about what was going on. And he shared that tons of families ha- had been calling the school already. Um, and he was very casual about what he knew. And he said, this is quite honestly a prank caller. You know, this is some kid in the neighborhood who's just trying to c- cause trouble. Um, in his mind, there was no evidence of anything in this area um, remotely even posing as a threat. With that in mind, he asked me, asked me, did I see the video? of the shooter in Tennessee. And I had not watched it yet. Um, And he explained to me what he noticed, which was that with that type of rifle, that that window was blown wide open. And as we're talking about, I asked, you know, I said, you know, as a, as a person who is in security, you know, what are your, you know, our windows here, the entrance to the school is not bulletproof. And what would in his mind take to move forward with doing that to those windows to make them bulletproof. And he said, the problem there, is that with an AR style weapon, the kind of damage that you're looking at, when you think bulletproof, that's often in terms of a standard issue weapon, a 45, a Glock 9. That's one thing. And that will probably prevent penetration by the bullet. But a military grade weapon, an AR weapon, for example, that's not the same thing as he was trying to explain to me. he He said something about like either shell explosion or like, you know, the propulsion damage, that's not going to stop that type of weapon from from having bullets that penetrate. So I asked, of course, well, what would that take? And he said, you basically would have to have metal doors. And so we talked about from a budget standpoint with all the schools in the district, what kind of what's the cost would potentially be? And he said, you're looking at millions of dollars. Then later on in the day, a newspaper story came out um, the um, for the local paper in the Lehigh Valley where I live. Just tell it just basically what the reports from the police were, which was essentially that this was indeed a prank call. There is no threat. This was just some person in town calling. Um, and it's not the first time it's happened to us. You know, June of last year, uh, I believe after another recent school shooting, this had happened again. And folks, if you are a parent and wherever you are listening to the show, thank you for doing so. This will be a thing. You will have more students, most likely middle school or high school that in light of a tragedy, we'll just simply place a call the next day. Uh, And that's another conversation about what should actually be the penalty for doing that. I share this story because I'm fortunate that for the most part, I work from home. I'm about a mile from the school. I get a phone call. I'm in the car. It's just that easy. And the first thing I thought about was when I pulled into the parking lot at the school is I'm immediately scanning the area. I'm just trying to look for any form of distress just to have any sense of God forbid what's going on. Because like the parents in Uvalde, my goal is to get in that building. If heaven forbid, there's a shooter. Um, and it just, it just became real for me. And as soon as I got my daughter out of the school, I immediately called my wife who stepped out of her conference and was just all sorts of relieved to talk to her daughter. And that's when it hit me that there are three, three sets of families who wish they had the same opportunity. They do not have that. Um, just like there are three adults who will no longer talk to uh, their families. One of which, as Mike had mentioned, had a relationship with the governor of Tennessee in, in Bill Lee. And, you know, I was something reading, I was reading some of the, the um, comments from the governor of Tennessee and 
And like most conservatives, he talked about that this is not the time to talk to talk about politics. This is a time for prayer and all the other BS that we hear. And that's really what it is, because it's always everything except the guns for many conservatives. Not all. I mean, I give a huge credit to someone like, say, uh, former representative Adam Kinzinger on Twitter, who talked about the fact that that there has to be something to be done. Uh, and there are other conservatives who are starting to turn around on that. So it's not necessarily um, anyone who identifies as a Republican in this country is not you know, willing to have the conversation. The data shows us constantly that the majority of Americans are ready to have the con- conversation about about better gun laws. The only exception being the or the only exception being of those who cannot agree to this is about 565 Americans who make up the members of Congress that um, just by a slight margin are not willing to do anything about this. Earlier today, there were hundreds of people in Tennessee protesting to do something about gun violence. No different than what we saw in Parkland a couple of years ago with students taking to the streets and wanting to see change. And to those folks, I say thank you. Thank you for making your voice heard. But please understand that these people will not change. They simply will not. When we talk about having an AR-15, we talk about having, as Mike put it, weapons of mass destruction. I agree with that. And that's an actual weapons of mass destruction, not what we were told in 2003, but that's another story. Now, we associate guns, the gun lobbies do, and conservatives do, with the fact that fragile white people think that that this is a form of protection. Because like the whole MAGA argument, there is a fear that this country is being taken from them. So the last thing you can do is to arm yourself. The fallacy of this is that when you talk about having things taken from you in the form of the United States government, understand that this is a government that has access to drones, that has access to far better weapons than even the average citizen could have, even if you have an AR-style weapon. It's fruitless to consider the fact that you can bunker up and think that you can be armed to the teeth and do anything if the government really wants to have it to deal with you. But the gun lobby has just changed. Politically, it was a brilliant move. You know, move away from fear of black people being armed to making sure that fearful white people feel that they have the right to bear arms. And that's what the conservative movement is. I mean, whenever we're having a conversation about guns and why there's an inability to do anything about it, it's because the perception is that guns are a form of freedom. And there's really only one group of people whose freedom in this country we really give a damn about, and it's white people. And that's, you can yell at me, call me a racist, you can call me anything you want. Um, but that's truly what we're talking about. And I know that for certain, because if, if the majority of gun owners in this country um, were not white, you would see an end to guns tomorrow, as we saw in the state of California, signed into law by one Ronald Reagan. So uh, that's all I can that's all I can really say from history to what we're seeing now to what my kid experienced yesterday, what my wife panicked about, what I think about every day I drop my daughter off at school, what most Americans think about um, is to be to be enraged, but also not to be surprised either by the actions of a, of a lobby that holds way too much sway um, on our on our government. You know, I want to shout out Justin Canoe, if I think I'm saying his name correctly here. Um, he started the Tennessee Holler. The, the TN Holler, excuse me, um, which you can follow them on Twitter at the TN Holler. And you can follow Justin at his last name is K A N E U. 
Um, he has a pin tweet up of him going to the Tennessee um, state house. And day after this happened, interviewing Republican lawmakers there because there's a super majority of Republicans that make up the Tennessee house right now. And he went to each single one of them, you know, Clark Boyd, uh, Jeremy Faison. These are names of congressional folks in the state of Tennessee. You wouldn't know them if they walked by you right now. <laughs> and every single one of them, he asked three kids died yesterday. What are you guys doing to keep kids safe today? And all of them gave varying answers of what about ism? One guy said, I think President Biden's a great president, huh? You, I mean, you picked them, right? And so it was just conflating arguments and no one looking for the phone, like the analogy I gave before. The phone's right there. The gun's right there. They use the gun. Nothing else. It's real simple. Take that gun out of the equation. They're not able to do what they did yesterday and six Families are forever changed and just a long list of other people that have lost their lives at the hands of gun violence and mass shootings in this country. We leave it there. We'll be covering the former President Trump uh, indictment stuff next week. Uh, when we come back after the break, like I mentioned, she was a former chief of staff for Representative Adam Kinzinger and also a staffer for former House Speaker John Boehner. Maura Gillespie joins us on the pod. She's going to weigh in. On the shooting in Tennessee, some other stuff happening news and notes wise out of Congress in D.C. More when we come back after the break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. Kitcaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. All right, quick break from the podcast to tell you about the good folks over at Fresh Roasted Coffee, the official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. You know, Nick, I want to do this different, this ad read. You hear the music in the background, but let's tell the people about what we truly like about Fresh Roasted Coffee. I'm going to go first because I love their Colombian Supremo 
It's my favorite K-Cup. Uh, everybody in my family has been ordering it. Uh, people have come over to the house that have stayed over. My mom, my sister stayed over recently, tried the K-Cup. We've had other coffee sponsors on the show. We didn't like any of them, right? This one, we really like. We love the delicious taste. It, it's just, it's it, you can smell it when you're putting in the K-Cup machine. My sister and my mother drink like five cups of coffee a day. So they were running me, you know, out of out of uh, coffee and home here. So uh, fresh roast of coffee, if you listen to this, I'm going to need some more K-Cups. But it's just so delicious and refreshing to know that I don't have to go with some of these other brands that are out there, that their coffee just doesn't translate into K-Cups for me. And you know I'm a big K-Cup guy. And I just, I just love what fresh roasted coffee brings me in the morning. I know I can make my cup of coffee, make my omelet, have my breakfast ready to go. What do you love about fresh roasted coffee, Mr. Mr. Coffee Snob, aficionado uh, on the show? I love the fact that they've turned my, they've turned my coffee setup into the best coffee shop in town. You know, about a mile down the road from me is a, a coffee company known for a particular shade of green, shall we say. I haven't stepped foot in there since you've introduced me to Fresh Roasted Coffee. Love it. They have absolutely, this company, folks, I got to tell you, Fresh Roasted Coffee turned my home into the best coffee shop in town. Now, Mike talked about flavors. I am a vanilla person. Every time I order from Fresh Roasted Coffee, by the way, can we get 20? We'll make sure you save 20% off your first order. When I order vanilla, the hazelnut, coconut it's my it's my holy trinity of coffee respect (laughs) um and it never fails it comes in the box ready to go it's the perfect blend of flavor but also strength because when i wake up in the morning i want a strong cup of coffee but i also want to get that flavor too and in a french press as soon as i push it down four minutes of course let it steep just get it right i'm good to go and i'm blowing through the coffee I mean, these folks at at Fresh Rose of Coffee know every few weeks I'm calling in. And if you want to, folks, you can be a subscriber, too, like I'm going to become. Mike, they've (laughs) they've turned my home into the ultimate coffee experience. I can't I can't put it any better than that. I mean, you really can't sum it up better than that. And like Mr. Severi mentioned, you go to FreshRoastedCoffee.com right now. Not only coffee, they have tea as well. They're positively tea sister brand. But you put all of this stuff, you go onto their site, you take their quiz, you get the coffee, you get the tea, you get the mugs, anything you want. When you get to checkout, enter in the promo code, can we get 20 to get 20% off the delicious coffee, head to freshroastedcoffee.com today. All right. She's back joining us here on the program, former chief of staff to representative Adam Kinzinger. And the founder of Bluestack Strategies, our friend Maura Gillespie. Maura, Mike, and Nick, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. You know, Maura, we were talking about this off air. And as we're recording this episode, obviously the news just came in. I wanted to pivot for a second before we get into a bunch of the stuff on the GOP side, the former president. But this tragic shooting that happened uh, in Tennessee at a school, a local school, I forget what type of school, six people so far as of this taping have been killed, three adults, three children. You and I were talking about something off air with respect to whenever these situations always happen, Nick and I always do the same thing. It's like a wash, rinse and repeat type of emotional response, unfortunately. And it's really because of lawmakers, similar to, you know, the people that you interacted with, you mentioned some of this off air, want to bring it over here because it's like, 
we could do something about this. There's one common denominator in all these things. And it's not, you know, CRT textbook. It's not video game violence. It's not a TikTok, right? It's all a gun that's being used in all of these. Give me some of your takeaways as you have been reading the news and everything that happened here in this shooting in Tennessee. Give me some of the thoughts and emotions that are running with you right now. It's horrible to watch anytime there's a school shooting or any shooting, truthfully. Uh, but especially when it's in a, it's an elementary school. This has happened in a Nashville elementary school. And it's frustrating, is, you know, the least of it, right? It, but there's so much that can be done. And I think that not only in this country, but our government, there's so much that can be done, but especially in the Republican party, they have an opportunity to stand up and be an adult in the room. There's so many things they could do, but they choose not to. And for what reason? Is it, is it the campaign finance, the campaign donations? Is it one fraction of their base that is adamant that we need assault weapon, assault style weapons? We don't. Um, but a big factor too, and, and one thing that I would say is that having school resource offices in every school, that is important because unfortunately how we, where we are in this country, we need that. Our kids need to be protected. And it is it's just really frustrating because there's so many things that the GOP and especially in the house that they have control now can do. And they're just choosing not to. More. It always seems like this has always been a polarized conversation where there is a, a fraction of Congress that's just sort of entrenched in one view of this and one, the other side has, and this isn't, Yes, it's mostly a Democratic Republican thing, but in your experience in Republican politics, where seems to be, if any, a potential middle ground of the ability to move votes one way or the other to be more sympathetic to some form of registration, restriction, um, more preventative laws to try to avoid tragedies like today? So after the Dayton and El Paso shootings in the summer, I believe it was 2019, in the summer of 2019. We introduced, um, the congressman put out an op-ed citing three different areas that we could and should have broad support on. You know, uh, we had already talked about bump stock bans. We talked about red flag laws and we talked about bumping the age up from 18 to 21 to buy assault, you know, weapons. Um, so I thought those were pretty common sense things. Again, I, I personally, as a, I'm not a gun owner, but I personally don't understand the need for an uh, AK-47 or an AR style um, for any civilian. I just don't see that need. I think you can go hunting with something else. I don't think you need to have these uh, guns at your home. I just don't, that's a personal preference, a personal belief of mine, but there are a lot of things that we can do. Again, the school resource officer, uh, former Congressman Rodney Davis had put forth a legislation. It, to my understanding, has gone nowhere, but having them in every school in the country to me seems like a no brainer. Um, but I'm, again, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in the Republican party for what I think is a, a huge missed opportunity to stand up and actually turn the table on uh, the whole entire gun debate. They could really be the adult in the room and they're just choosing not to. So many different directions we can go there, but I, I'm glad you kind of fed into the GOP part of this because you know, our last couple of episodes, we've been talking about the former president going on a social media platform to say he's going to be arrested. Now he's saying he's not going to be arrested. Who yeah. knows what what to make right. of all that? But obviously, he's out there giving campaign speeches as he's already announced that he's going to be running. We know what that part of the party looks like, right? That faction of the MAGA Republican base, as it's been labeled by everybody. And now you have this challenger in Ron DeSantis that still has not 
announced in, in terms of whether or not he would run for president. Obviously, it looks like he's going to. What do you make of the GOP 2024 uh, race right now as somebody steeped in GOP politics over the last decade plus? Because Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Ron DeSantis and former President Trump, the makeup of this party, the direction, uh, sometimes the policy aims or lack thereof. What do you get a sense of in terms of the direction of the GOP in 2024 and beyond? It's going to be really interesting to see who else formally announces that they're throwing their hat in the ring and running for a president. I think right now, and with what Trump has said and done is a stark contrast, whether you like Nikki Haley or not, to what Nikki Haley is saying, especially when it comes to our enemies. Uh, Trump's recent video, I think it was out two weeks ago, uh, insinuated that we should be or at or as provoking a civil war with one another, as opposed to being in deep uh conflict with Russia, China, um, and they're building alliances, which they are doing. That is the threat to America's freedom, democracy, and we should take it as such. For President Trump to be pointing fingers and saying that we should, we are at civil war or wants us to be more or less with uh, the liberal party versus the conservative party. I mean, that is just beyond dangerous. And his running for president, and again, he was in Waco, Texas, I believe it was yesterday, did this rally. It is fear-mongering on a level of I haven't seen in my lifetime. It, it, it To me, that's a real problem. So anyone who's going up against President Trump has to be a completely stark contrast to that in the GOP field, from, in, my, in my opinion. Speaking of the former president, and you know, previously when, you had, when we had you on, something we talked about was just the social media, the growing social media presence and messaging that we're seeing from candidates, not necessarily far left, far right. Yes, amplified so. But in general, it seems that it's almost part of standard operating procedure to have some social media presence to put a message out to voters. Coupling that with what we saw recently with the hearings around TikTok and just it often seems I'm only going to speak from my own experience here, that the second that the cameras go on, certain members of Congress, there is a level of performative gesture that doesn't seem that seems somewhat cartoonish. With all that in mind, where is your assessment just in terms of messaging the role of cameras in Congress? Should we be rethinking the way that candidates or rather the way that political officials are using cameras or social media platforms to put out sound bites and messages that don't really necessarily feel complete about where constituents are in the needs of their respective districts or states? Absolutely. And I think we touched on this when we spoke last year, which I think it was last year, but members of Congress were not supposed to be celebrities. They are not supposed to be these household names that everyone knew what they had for lunch that day and where they're headed to the next, you know, which gym class they're taking that weekend. That wasn't supposed to be uh, what our members of Congress were. They were supposed to go to Washington, D.C., represent their constituents and go home and live their lives. But it, it has become more of a performative art of I'm going to get famous by doing this or by saying this or going in front of this camera and saying outlandish things. And then I'll raise a ton of money off of it. I mean, Trump, going back to what Trump, President, former President Trump did was he put out that message on his Truth Social and he fundraised that day, that night and raked in a ton of money. And we're seeing people in the right wing flank, but also you're seeing Democrats do it too, who see that kind of success, whether you like it or not, and model after it. They're doing that too, because it is effective. And when, you know, I saw uh, Utah just passed a bill banning social media for kids under 18. Obviously, the TikTok hearings that happened on the Hill last week. It, the social media aspect of our world is 
has changed things, has changed how we perceive other people, you know, all with rose colored glasses for a large part. And what we present to the world is our, ourselves. We put um, our, like our greatest hits out there. So when we're watching members of Congress who do this only for, in my, in my opinion, a lot of places, or a lot of cases for campaign uh, benefits and to, again, get attention, it's damaging to the constituents who are looking for safety in their schools, who are looking for um, clean drinking water out of their reservoirs. I mean, we're seeing issues in communities across the country that are being largely ignored at the uh, behest of their congressman being too busy playing on his Twitter account. And that's dangerous. Yeah. To that end, too, in terms of where our attention currently lives, you know, recently we've obviously had a, a hearing around TikTok um, with the House take or with the Republicans taking back the House. Obviously, there was conversations about Hunter Biden and a lot of what we're also seeing in terms of, well, most recently, <laughs> the education bill, the Parents' Bill of Rights that's mm -hmm. being put forward. In your assessment of just the initiatives that Republicans have put forward since taking back the House, does that seem consistent with what? Republicans seem to have run on, which was a, a concern about economic factors and, well, primarily economic factors, actually. Um, but how do you how do you make sense of, you know, the attempts to run on one thing and then really pivot to what seems to be more of a, a social or a conspiratorial um, push? It seems to me that they didn't have a plan. And that's what we're watching is that it's happening kind of what feels like to me as things progress or as things flare up they'll address it then. There's not an actual plan in place to address our economic issues. A lot of that is just a blame game that goes on between them and the Biden administration. And when it comes to TikTok, I will say the focus, while yes, it's on the social media and the impacts that social media has, but a lot of it too is on China. And that I think there is a lot of, and what the TikTok hearing did show us was a lot of bipartisan support on addressing the real threat that China poses to us, to our intellectual property, to um, our youth. But, and so I think that was a, a, a positive last week, seeing that committee come together and agree that, you know, there are some serious concerns about um, the data that TikTok is, is keeping and the connection they have to the Chinese Communist Party. More, you know, I want to ask you because you just mentioned there, we were talking about some of the committees and mm -hmm. some of the stuff that's happening on Capitol Hill right now. But only one person on this call has actually helped a congressman set up for a committee hearing. Okay. And, and mm -hmm. newsflash, it's not Nick Severus. So, <laughs> more, can you take our audience inside what that preparation kind of looks like? Obviously, Adam was so front facing on the January 6th committee stuff, but for people like Nick and I and our audience that's watching and listening to this, like what entails in all of that in preparing for a committee hearing, getting things uh, set for the congressman or woman to say there on the podium, like how mm -hmm. take us inside that process. Yes, yeah, so a lot goes into it, especially for the January 6th hearings, because they were televised and the ones that weren't, we also had prep materials for the ones that were, you know, depositions and things of that nature that were either in person or on Zoom. But for the hearings that we were, that the congressman was either uh, point on or uh, co-lead on, we had several uh, run-throughs, whether that was with the other member who we were working with, with the lawyers on the committee staff, uh, with the entire committee present. We did a few run-throughs in that room before going over 
you know, okay, here's the speech, here's what, how we are going to structure it. Um, because we're also telling a story. We're laying out the facts of here's what happened and then here's what happened. So you have to do it in a way that is digestible to uh, the American people, but also tells the truth of what's happening and co- you know corresponds with the evidence that we had. So a lot, there was a lot of rehearsal. I mean, rehearsal sounds like it's performative, but it more so going to run through so that there isn't a four hour hearing uh, happening each, you know, week, each week, but it's a lot of work. I mean, we also put out, you know, opening statements, closing statements and working on that um, together. All right. That's great insight there. This is why we have her on the program. She's a former chief of staff to representative Adam Kinzinger. She once upon a time to work for the speaker of the house, John Boehner, right. and obviously the founder of blue stack strategies. And you can catch her by the way, if you're turning on Fox news one day or turning on MSNBC, she's everywhere. She's all over the place. Maura Gillespie. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Truly appreciate it. You know, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. All right. Our thank yous to Maura Gillespie there, former chief of staff to Representative Adam Kinzinger, once upon a time a staffer for former House Speaker John Boehner. You want to check out the video portions of our interview with Maura, head to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. You can check out the video. Hit the subscribe button for me there. Audio podcast. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW. Cast platforms, you know by now, Apple, Spotify, Google. Shout out to all the listeners to listen to us over on Good Pods. Shout out to Acast, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens into this program. Emails us, hits us up on Twitter, Instagram. We read every single one of them. I read every single one of them. We love that you listen to this program each and every week. As always, I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. We'll see everybody next time.